The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Well, now I get to do one of my second favorite things to do as far as the job is concerned, and that is share some things from the Word of God. We are going to look today at Daniel chapter 2. We started a new series last week in Daniel, and uh, moving on to chapter 2 now. Chapter 2, we're not going to read through the whole thing. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to focus on some verses right in the middle that kind of summarize the two ideas, and the rest of it, I get to kind of tell you the story of Daniel chapter 2 as far as... uh, it's actually, okay, don't don't throw things, don't get upset, don't check out. It's actually a very much a history lesson, okay? So uh, we're going to look at some stuff that probably back in that class you had to take in 10th or 11th grade called World History or History of Civilization, or maybe in college. It was one of those uh, gen eds that you had to take was the history of Civ, and you had to learn about the world kingdoms of the ancient world kingdoms. We're going to look at those for a couple minutes. Sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Yes, Uh, but as we do that, uh, understand that even though we're looking at it as history, uh, for Daniel, when he wrote it, it was prophecy because it hadn't happened yet. So we're going to jump into that. In Daniel chapter 2, the story begins that Nebuchadnezzar, the guy we met last week who was the tyrant king of Babylon, uh, there's no really nice way to describe him. He was a jerk in every sense of the word as far as that goes, and we'll see that come up in the story here. But uh, this tyrant king, uh, this egotistical maniac, uh, had had a dream. And uh, he woke up one morning very, very bothered by his dream. And he was like, I, uh, I got to figure out what this dream means because it's going to drive me crazy. So he called all the wise men of his empire, all the, uh, all the astro- astrologers and everything like that to come together, the, the wisest council that he had, all the smart guys, the guys who had all the books and the library full of things that they could interpret the dreams. And he said, uh, I want you guys to tell me what my dream means, but I'm not sure I trust you. I'm not sure you're just going to make something up. So here's the thing. So that I know that this message is actually coming from God or actually, in his case, coming from the gods, what I want you to do, I want you to, first of all, tell me what I dreamed, and then uh, you can tell me what it means. Okay, so these wise men are a little perplexed. I mean, imagine if I said to Jim, Jim, I had a dream last night. Tell me what I dreamed. (laughs) Doesn't seem real fair, and I think they were very much like that. Um, Now, It says uh, that the king, uh, I'm sorry, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show to the king except the gods uh, whose whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry, very furious, and commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. So that's what I said about this fellow here. He said, wait a minute, you can't tell me my dream? He doesn't say you're voted off the island. Uh, He doesn't say you're fired. He says, you're dead. Okay, you can either tell me or you can die. Now, this is going to include Daniel, too, because Daniel is among his council. They are going to be killed because they cannot tell the king what his dream is. Now, we're going to jump ahead for a second. We're going to come back. If you saw that word limited that I had up there, we're going to talk about a couple things that this chapter points out that are very limited as a way to uh, apply this practically in our lives. But we're going to jump ahead to exactly what that dream is for a second, and then we'll come back and see how God showed that to Daniel. Here's what Daniel said to him. Uh, He said, uh, 
Here's what you dreamed. You saw this image or you saw this statue. And the statue has a head of gold. He has uh, arms and shoulders of uh, silver. And then he has a belly and thighs of bronze. And he has legs of iron. And his feet are of iron and clay. And then he goes on and he says one more thing. He says there's a rock. And he uses this phrase. He says there's a rock made not with hands. I'll come back to that in a minute. And this rock comes and it hits strikes the statue at the feet, and the statue crumbles. All these things are crumbled and is blown away by the wind, and that rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. So by this time, Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, that is what I dreamed, so I, he's listening. And Daniel goes on right away, and he explains it, and he says, okay, here's the thing, king. You, you the man, okay? You are the king of Babylon. Babylon is the great empire of the world right now. You are the most important man in the universe right now. You're the man. You are that head of gold. That's you, king. Uh, and of course, by that, the king was probably feeling pretty good, except for this part about the crumbling later. He's not going to like that. Uh, but then he goes on and he says, as we go down through this uh, image, through this statue, we're going to have the other kingdoms of the world described here because after you comes another kingdom. It's going to be the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians that's, that's going to come. And after that is another kingdom that's going to be the kingdoms of the Greeks. And I don't know if this is ringing any bells from back in history class, but these are the world empires uh, that came. You have the, uh, the Babylon and then you have the Medes and the Persians and then you have the Greeks. And by the time he got to the legs, uh, that is a picture of the Roman Empire. Uh, and he says in the feet of, of iron and clay, but he says, and then this rock, this rock, that is not made with hands. Now, it's a very significant statement there, and he repeats it. He said it the first time when he said, here's what your dream was. He says it again when he gives the interpretation. You have to understand that this rock was not created, okay, because he's telling us that this rock is actually the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who's pictured there. He had no beginning, no end. He's eternal. Hey, he was not created. And we want you to understand that what is going to happen is that Jesus Christ then, this rock is going to become a mountain that fills the whole earth, and his kingdom is going to be the one that lasts and remains, and all the other kingdoms are going to be washed away. Okay, so that's kind of an explanation there. Now, before we get into the text of the day that I want to read with you, I wanted to make just a couple observations and talk about the first thing that I want to tell you today is limited, okay, that we see is limited. Very simply, I want to tell you that the kingdoms of this world are limited. Now, I'm going to be a wimpy pastor for a minute here. <laughs> Some of you are like, for a minute, what's he talking about? Uh, he's always a wimpy pastor. But, you know, if I have something that is important, a message from God, I don't mean that in a weird sense. You know, God spoke to me in a dream. I'm, I'm preaching his word. I don't ever want to apologize for it. You know, I, I never want to do that, and I, I pray I never, and pray for me that I never do that with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the whole idea that Jesus came into this world to save sinners, uh, said, trust in me, I am the way to God. If I ever apologize for that in any way, you have the right to slap me or baptize me an extra long period of time back there uh, if you want to do that and get it like that because I never want to apologize for that. But I, I want to admit the two things I'm going to say today, I'm going to, I guess you would say couch what I'm going to say, and hopefully you'll understand why. In other words, I'm going to soften them up a little bit for a second here. And what I mean by that is I, I want us to understand that the kingdoms of this world are not eternal. They're not going to last. I want, I want us to get that idea, but I also, I guess I kind of want you to know this. I love my country, okay? I do. I pray for my country. Uh, I pray for the leaders of my country. Uh, I'm thankful for my country. I get, I mean, I get choked up at a lot of different things. This is going to be really weird. There's a movie called The Sandlot, 
And in that, Ray Charles sings America the Beautiful, and they shoot off fireworks and play baseball, and I cry. Uh, I'm pretty weird, I know, but I, lo- I love the country. I, I-, I really do. And I uh, appreciate it. I'm thankful for it, knowing it's not perfect, but I still am going to just say, hey, God bless America, and I love America, and all that. We were at uh, a wedding over, it was actually New Year's Eve. My brother-in-law uh, uh, is a very high, he's retired now, but he's a very high-ranking in the Army. And his son-in-law is still uh, in the Army, a very, very high-ranking. I mean, I, I would tell you what they are. I think the one is a general, actually, and the other is lieutenant. Colonel, is that pretty high? Okay, they're both way up there. Uh, but anyway, there was, they were getting ready for the wedding. We had come, and I would packed my suit and everything like that, and I would bought a new tie for the wedding. And sure enough, I could not find that stinking new tie uh, in the luggage where it was. And I was like, I don't have a tie to wear. And he said, here, you can wear this. And he took his dress uniform. Uh, he was wearing the bow tie that goes with it. So he took that little thin black tie that they, they wear, and he said, here, you can win this, wear this. And I was like, no, I don't deserve to wear this. <laughs> you know, it's just a piece of cloth. Uh, but I was like, I haven't earned this. You know, I haven't served stuff like that. It made me feel awkward because I so much appreciate those who have served this country. I, I do. I just, and okay, that's my couching. I, I, I want to say those things. I want you to know that I feel that way when I say what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is this. I don't fear the decline of my nation. Now, I pray that it will not happen. I pray for this nation. Uh, I see some signs that sometimes you think this nation is going to last. But when I read this story in Daniel chapter 2, I just realized the kingdoms of this world are not eternal. They're not going to last. They rise and they fall, bottom line. And you understand why I couch that because I didn't want you to think I'm saying this flippantly like I don't care because I care very much. But at the same time, the kingdoms of this world, the old uh, Handel's Messiah says, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. And that's from Daniel chapter 7. It's also from the book of Revelation. That is the proclamation that these kingdoms will fall. Okay? So I, I think this is so important that we grab onto because my hope, my joy, my life isn't tied to this country as much as I love this country. So if the kingdoms of this world fall, guess what? His kingdom keeps going. A second idea that we need to understand is his kingdom supersedes all others. I grew up, brother, sister, mom, and dad. Most important unit of my life was that little family of five. 1982, that all changed. I said to my wife, I do, and we did, uh, and, uh, and have been together. That new unit became the most important unit. Now, I still love mom and dad, still wanted to honor them, but I had this new family. In uh, actually, in about the year of 1977, man, is that a long time ago, I also became part of a new kingdom. And as much as I love America and will love America and eating hot dogs and playing baseball and watching fireworks and all that stuff, waving flags and everything, the number one kingdom of my life became the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ when I believed in Him as my Savior. When I repent, I said, Lord, I need a Savior. I trusted Him, and He says, I'm going to take you into my family, and that became number one. And His kingdom supersedes all other. Yesterday morning, uh, friends and I got up, and uh, we were sitting there, and we were watching the local news at 7 o'clock. And uh, as we sat there and watched that, uh, I just watched a few minutes, and the, you know, the opening story was this shooting in Indianapolis, and, uh, and it went on from there. You know, we're going to talk about this, this, and this. And I took in about seven minutes of that, and I was like, yeesh, yeesh, our world is pretty messed up. 
But if I can say it like this, I, I don't want to downplay any of those things going on in the earth. Uh, on the earth. I don't want to ignore them. They're all very serious. Some are heartbreaking. Uh, some of the things that, go, that are going on in our world. But what I wanted to say is, what takes place here today, maybe a few minutes ago in the, in the baptistry, it's just way more important. Okay? I, I don't, you know, and please, again, this is not being said flippantly at, at all, but I hope you'll appreciate what I'm about to say. 100% of us are guaranteed to test positive for the impact of sin on our lives. 100% of us. And therefore, we all need the remedy, which is Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying, things that have to do with his kingdom supersede everything else. And, you know, and, and maybe you're listening to say, yeah, again, that's the preacher. He's supposed to say things like that. But I, I hope we can somehow grasp that idea that his kingdom is the one, as we read in Daniel, as we see, his kingdom is the one that lasts forever. And the others, as important as they may be, as valuable as much as we want to pray for and love them and appreciate those who have fought for them and things like that, we still want to understand that his kingdom supersedes all others. I want to throw one other thing in here before we move to our text. And it is that idea that at the end of the story, Daniel and his buddies end up serving in the kingdom. And uh, I, I don't want to downplay this either. As far as much as I do not think ultimately the nations of this world are our hope, I want to encourage God's people. You know, if that's as a leading that you have, I don't want to downplay it and say it's not important to become involved. In work. I, you know, that's just where it, that's what they did. They plugged in. Okay, now I want to go back to the middle of our text. I said kind of the key to this passage, and I'm going to be brief here, so stay with me. It says, then Daniel, okay, this is after the message is, that uh, they didn't know the king's dream. They could not understand it. So um, they're going to kill everybody. So Daniel's like, well, I don't know what the dream was either. So Daniel went to the house and made the matter known to his buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And listen to what Daniel said. He said, blessed be the name of the God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He is the source of wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep, the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. So in the very middle of this story, it's an impossible task to describe this king's dream. There's no way to do this without God, and Daniel realizes. And Daniel and his buddies, you might remember last week, were described as ten times better than everybody else. This guy is the smartest of the smart. And he says, I can't do this without God's help. And the second thing, I want us today to be impressed or to realize the limit the, that the governments of this world are limited. But I also want us to understand this, our minds Human intellect is also limited. There are some things that cannot be figured out intellectually. Now, again, I'll couch this a little bit. I mean, because I want to say, I mean, I watch some people with their knowledge of computers. I, you know, I got no clue. The average five-year-old can do a lot better than I am. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Um, I don't have time to do it. I was going to show you my idea of challenging intellect is these little puzzles uh, that, uh, that my son gave me for my birthday. I can get them all apart and together. You know, it's two pieces of metal that are intertwined. 
I've solved them all. Uh, I mean, that's my idea of intellect right there, stuff like that. And I, you know, I get sometimes, you know, where, for example, um, in, you know, you see somebody with a Ph.D. and we're like, wow, like that. I don't want to mock anybody like that. The hard work that they've put in, uh, a medical doctor, I mean, I, I don't want to mock them at all, but I, I did want to say this, and again, I couched it a little bit because I don't want you to think I disrespect that, but I've had a couple of loved ones who have been totally misdiagnosed by doctors and really messed up because of it. Now, I'm not angry at the doctors because of that. Don't, don't get it wrong. I think they did their best, but I think they're limited. And I think we need to understand that all of human intellect is is limited. When Daniel looked at this uh, situation, he says, guys, we need to ask God. Okay, we need his help because there's some things that are only going to be understood through him. God's spirit reveals. There's a word in the verses that I, that I read earlier uh, that talked about God revealing these mysteries. We're going to explore that word a little bit because it carried over and it is used in the New Testament to that idea that there are some things that we just don't understand. I want to show you some verses in the New Testament that Paul wrote. He said, but we impart a secret. Okay, he's talking about himself ministering. He says, I impart a secret and a hidden knowledge, I'm sorry, wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, because if they did, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit that is in the person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And over in Ephesians he said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this was his prayer for the people. I pray that the Father of glory may give you the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation. May he make these things known to you. I, uh, our sermon title today is limited, and my time is somewhat limited too, so, but I, I actually I'll go ahead, and there's another verse in uh, Ephesians that he kind of brings across this same idea. He talks about the, the idea of the Spirit of God being the one that helps us to understand things, and uh, I just want to take a couple minutes and connect with this for a second, or, or help us connect with this. Have you ever in your walk of faith or in your knowledge of the things of God, have you ever thought, I believe that, but I'm not quite convinced? For example, I, I struggle with this one. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I trusted him and he forgave me. And yet I'm not always convinced I'm forgiven. You know, sometimes I still live digging up some shame and, you know, how could God really forgive me? I'm such a mess up, you know, a lot like that. And in my heart of hearts, and you guys, you know, if you're thinking, all I can say is if you don't understand why I would say that, you don't know me very well. <laughs> okay. You don't know what God knows as far as what's inside my brain sometime about things. You don't understand where I am. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, how could I really be forgiven? You know, I know I'm forgiven. I know that Jesus Christ paid the price for that sin, but sometimes I'm not quite convinced of it. It talked about the eternal hope in there, too, and sometimes it's the same way with that. I know that heaven is real. I know that Jesus paid the price. I know that those who trusted in him go to heaven forever, and yet sometimes I still want to cling to everything that this earth has. You, you know what I mean? And I think that this is what all there is. My mind kind of goes there. Well, what these passages are saying, and, and I'm sorry to hit them so fast, but because what they're saying, what the Apostle Paul is saying, there are some things that you're only going to understand 
through God's Spirit. He is going to teach you that. There's some things that your brain is going to look at and say, I don't get it. When, uh, when I was a teenager, my brother came home from college. My brother had always looked up to. He's eight years older than me. I'd always respected him. And he came home, and he had this new girlfriend that had talked to him about Jesus and church and all this stuff. And he came home talking about all this stuff, all this religious stuff. And I thought, this is sad. My brother's lost his mind. My brother's gone and become a, a, a religious whack job. Uh, and, uh, you know, really kind of hated that that, that that was happening. After a while, as my brother continued to share some, some truth with me, I don't know how else to explain this, it began to make sense. I began to understand that, you know what? I have a sin problem. I need a Savior. I need to trust Him. I appreciated so much, Hope, when you talked to me the other day because I was thinking about that. She'd been, you know, around and everything like that, but she was talking about she was in a meeting. Uh, Deco, Paj, whatever that thing. Uh, I didn't say it right, but whatever that little Christian group there, there she was in, and she was just saying at that point the Spirit of God showed her, hey, this is you. I want a relationship with you. I want you, I want you to know me as a personal Savior. And I thought... That's great. That's exactly where it is. But I want to make sure that I say that to you folks today because, listen, when you talk about being limited, nobody has a greater sense of being limited than I do, honestly, as far as my ability to communicate something to you. The truth of God that I want to try to share with you every week, I am helpless to do in a lot of ways. And I wanted you to know that if God's Spirit begins to show you that you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. You, you fit into that category. This isn't for just religious wackos and people go to church or anything like that, that all man is sinful. Uh, all man has a sin problem. And that Jesus died to pay that debt and said, come to me, a turn from your sin, trust in me. And when I believe, when I believe that indeed God did send his son in Jesus Christ and he did die on a cross and he did raise again. When I believe that, when I get a hold of that truth and when I grab onto that, uh, it is only because the Spirit of God has convinced me of that truth. So here today, I hope that you'll look and say, okay, wait a minute. What is the truth that maybe, maybe I know, but I'm having a hard time really being convinced of it? What is the truth of God's word? And what is it that God's Spirit is currently teaching me and revealing to me? Because that's what He does. Okay, that's what the Spirit... You say, what? Well, that doesn't really make sense. This Spirit is mis... I understand. I really do. I understand if you're saying that. It doesn't really make sense. I mean, Pastor, you're saying that Jesus, you know, this, this, Jesus died on the cross and paid for the sins of all mankind, and that doesn't really make sense. My prayer is that the Spirit of God, like the Apostle Paul prayed, would show you that. Because I get where you are. I was there. Like I said, I was like, oh, my brother. Not my brother. The religious cooks have got him. You know, that, that can't happen. And, you know, that was my reaction to begin with. Until God's Spirit said, hey, you know what? <laughs> this is for you, buddy. I died for you on that cross. It was because of your sin I died, and I want to forgive your sin. And my prayer, like the Apostle Paul, is that his Spirit, would teach us and continue to teach us these things because there are some things. And, you know, again, I don't want to trash intellectuals at all and those who have studied and worked hard and are way smarter than I am. But I do want us to realize there are limits to the human intellect. And if we get where we're worshiping, okay, I have to, 
We're going to go a tad long today, but I, I've got to do one more thing here. Would you open your Bibles, if you have a Bible, or uh, to the book of Athenians? Would you, would you do that? The book of Athenians? Some of you are looking like, eh? Uh, and some of you are looking. Uh, I think I can find them. But, and I'm sorry if you are, because I didn't mean to. But the Apostle Paul traveled around and preached the gospel. And he preached at Thessalonica, and there's a book called Thessalonians because he wrote to the church there. And he preached at Philippi, and there's a book called Philippians because he wrote to the church there. And he preached at Corinth, and there's a book called Corinthians because he wrote to the church there. And Ephesus and Galatia and everything like that, and they started churches. There's one place where he preached that there's no sign of a church really starting, and it was in the town of Athens. Now, again, if you can remember your world history, remember the Athenians were all about, first of all, they were all about their false gods that they made up. They had temples everywhere to them. And they were also all about their own intellect. And they actually worshipped their own intellect. And I don't know how to, if this sounds stupid to you, I'm sorry, I got I to say it. I'm going to say it anyway. They got a little bit too smart for their own good. They really did. Like, we don't need God. We got this figured out. Understand in this story, the first thing Daniel did is say, I can't figure this out. I need God. That's, that's where he went. And that's the place when we come to know him. One other thing, the day that I figured this out, simply in my heart, I said, Lord, I get it. I know I need you. More than anything fancy, I said, Lord, I know I need you. I know I need a Savior. I trust Jesus as my Savior. Okay, I was by myself. Need, don't need a priest, don't need a pastor, don't need to be in church. I was by myself. I said, Lord, I need you. If that is the, the, the way that God's Spirit is speaking to you, I encourage you to do, do the same. We, uh, you'll understand in a minute why well, I was rushing a little bit, but at the same time, I, I hope we communicated this well, that the governance of men, the intellect of men, are limited. And if you read that section in the middle of, of Daniel chapter 2, you see where he plainly said that it is God that gives the wisdom. It is God that sets the kingdoms up and down. We understand his place and his glory. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.